up this series. We're going to have something next week, and then we're done for the summer. I'll tell you, at the end of tonight, I'm going to, we are going to do some baptisms, which is going to be fantastic. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a dozen things that I need you to hear for what's coming up in the summer, and then also some things that we need help with coming up real soon. So, um, I mean, I got enough stuff that everybody in here could help serve in one way, shape, or form, but we'll get to that in the end. We want to, we want to wrap up this Goliath Must Fall series. We've been talking about these giants in our life. And I got to talk to some of your parents about this message that we're doing tonight and this week, the giant of addiction. And as I was talking to parents, I just really sensed, and Cooper talking about like what the Lord is saying to you, sensed that God was going, this may be the most important message that we do. I asked Nate earlier this afternoon, I said, hey, send out a remind just to remind students, hey, that we are meeting tonight because I don't want them to miss it. And so I want us to get into the word but I want us to pray first um, that God would speak to us. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being able to come and to worship, to, to tell you how much we love you, to, to spend some time thanking you and praising you and remembering the good works that you've done. And Lord, some of us come in tonight burdened for friends and for families. We come in maybe even burdened by addiction some sort. And so God, I pray that tonight, as we finish out this series and nearly the semester, that you would speak very clearly to us and that, um, that we would walk out different than we walked in tonight. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I love, I love concerts. Anybody concert goers? You like, do you, I mean, I don't know if you get to and you don't drive, like, what's the best concert you've been to? Who, who? The cheetah, cheetah girls. I'm, I, am, I am fully regretting asking for a public answer now at this point. You met them. Okay, cool. Um, I think you, I, you can still meet them now. I think they work at Schlotzky's now. Where are the best concert? Sean Mendez. Okay. Taylor Swift. That's a, that's a pretty cool concert. I saw her. So, I, okay, where? I'm going to take it to a whole bunch. But. Well, who, who, is, who is the best person? Okay. Okay, last one. Sweet. Man, that so totally makes up for the cheetah girls that Hadley gave us earlier. I'm so excited about that. I love concerts. I go all the time. So if you go to concerts, you probably have some of the same. Like, I, I just love the live music. I love, um, I love when the artist is up there and they, they, they tell stories, like about their life or, or maybe about the song or something like that. But now... Because I, I'm getting older, like, I, my concert going has changed. Like, because I love music, I used to go, like, if the concert, the doors opened at 6 and the show starts at 7, we made sure, especially if it was, like, a standing concert, that get there early and see the opening app, probably somebody I never heard of, just so I want to hear them, and then see the person you came for. And, and as I got older, I started, like, realizing that, like, the doors opened at 6 and we got there and the opening act got on the stage at 7 and maybe... Another act was at 7.45, and then the person who I went to see was coming on at like 8.30 or 9 o'clock, but I got there at 6, and I was like old enough at that point, like I've been standing for three hours, and so then the person that I want to see comes on the stage, and I'm like, oh, you know, my legs hurt, like it's so inappropriate to take my shoes off at the concert venue, you know, like, but like my, I, and I remember, I'd be like, I don't even want to go, so now my concert going habits have changed. Especially if it's a small venue, I like call and go, hey, what time do they hit the stage? I'm showing up right before that to see them because it's just, you're getting older. 
One of the things though, and maybe because I'm getting older, that's like the biggest pet peeve of all for me is, is people who pull out their phone during the concert. Now, well, I'm okay with taking a picture, several pictures. I'm okay, like I might record part of the song, especially if it's a song that my daughters know, you know, and so I can go back home. But the person, and if this is you, I'm gonna judge you. I'm just telling you now. The person who brings up their phone and they record the whole stinking concert, like the whole time. And, and they're like watching it through their phone. I'm thinking, the person you came to see is right in front of you. Like, enjoy the moment. Have a great experience. And, and they're recording all, and I know, I know they're never going back and watching that video they filmed. Like, they're not going back for an hour-long phone concert. They missed everything. And it's, I just, I'm going to be honest, I want to punch them in the face. Like, it's like, put the phone down and enjoy the moment. We're we, we live life through a screen. I was at a hotel uh, a couple of weeks ago and walked down to the uh, uh, lobby on my way out to a conference, and there was a family of six, and they were sitting around the breakfast table. They had their waffles and oatmeal and all that stuff, <clears throat> and the whole family was sitting there, and every member of the family had their phone out and was doing stuff on their phone all around the table. And I remember thinking, well, that's kind of sad. We live in this, like, addicted generation, not, not generation, not just you guys, not age generation, like an addicted age where everything we do involves a screen. And I'm not casting stones because I'm addicted to my screen as well. But, but it, it, we are. And we throw out a word like addiction. As long as we're talking about cell phones and stuff, we're like, okay, that's not a big deal. We start talking about addiction in the bigger things. All of a sudden, that word can change the tone of a room, Right? I mean, because we, we, we realize there's some heavy things when it comes to addiction. In fact, I, I would almost bet that every person in this room, could be wrong, I would bet every person in this room has had your life affected in some way, shape, or form by someone else in your life, or, or maybe in your own life, who's wrestled with one of those big addictions. It's pretty prevalent. I mean, for me, the other day, uh, Rayleigh and I were out on a dad-daughter date, and we were going down to watch this magic show in Austin, and we stopped at uh, this barbecue joint for dinner, and we're sitting there. Just she and I were eating dinner, and um, I, we started talking about family and stuff, and, and I, I realized that my oldest brother, uh, most of you guys don't know my oldest brother. You know Brian, who helps lead worship. My oldest brother went several years in his life with some pretty heavy addiction to alcohol, drugs. I mean, I've, I, I say all the time, his story if they made a movie out of it, it would, it would be NC-17 for sure. And he's been sober now for, I think, almost 10 years. I mean, it's pretty fantastic how God has delivered him from those things. But because of the old lifestyle way back when, he actually has a daughter that is estranged from him that he doesn't know where she is. She said, I don't want anything to do with you because of the decisions and things that he made way back when. And so I'm sitting there talking to Rayleigh, and I show her a picture of her cousin. And I was telling some of the story. I said, this is her, her name's Autumn. And Rayleigh, my daughter, asked me, she goes, well, who is she to me? Like, who would she be? And it dawned on me, I was like, man, I said, she'd, she'd be your cousin, just like Sarah and Devin and, and some of her, her first cousins. And she has zero relationship, doesn't even know the girl exists who's her cousin because of the power of addiction. And I don't Here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to talk about some of those heavy things, but, but we're also going to go kind of cast a wider net. Because here's what I don't want us to do. When we talk about the giant of addiction, I don't want you to sit here and go, I'm not an alcoholic, I'm 13. 
That's, this isn't me. Uh, I've never done drugs, so I'm not addicted to heroin or crack or anything like that. So, so really, I can check out tonight because that is not true. Because the giant of addiction can come in many shapes and forms. And so <clears throat> I don't want to demean the process of walking through those big addictions, but I want to give you some thoughts on some smaller, maybe, addictions. And by smaller, I don't mean less powerful. I mean the types of things that maybe we not, we're not just so blown away by. Here's one. When we talk about alcohol and drugs, do you know there, there are some people that are addicted to money? That may not be you. You may not have a job yet, but you may be living in a home where a parent's so driven by money that you go, I don't ever see my mom, I don't ever see my dad because they're always at work. They're always chasing after the, the money to pay off the mortgage of a, of a big house. I had a, a teenager, well, it was a dad, tell me one time, they were, uh, had moved into a house and the dad was kind of convicted about worshiping the God of money, being addicted to it. And he started talking to his kids. He said, hey, we're gonna downsize. We're gonna move out of our house. And when we move into the house, he said, hey, this, the house we're moving to, it's not as big as this one. And he's telling me the story, and his kids went, we don't care. And he said, well, and also the house we're moving to, it doesn't have a pool like we have now. And they said, we don't care. And they said, Dad, we would rather you be home than have a pool. And Dad went, man, I just missed it. But the addiction to money can, can change us. Uh, some people have an addiction to sex or, or pornography. I mean, we talk about pornography a lot because what the statistics tell us about your generation, even adults, there are people who are addicted to sex, they... They have this giant in their life who, who, who shows up over and over again and says to them in that area, you know, hey, you're never going to be free. And it, it's captured them. Some people have the addiction of buying things, like shopping. And, and, and that sounds kind of silly, but there are people who, who anytime they feel pain or anytime they feel lonely, if I go buy something new, I'll feel better. The addiction to accomplishment, got to have that 4.0 grade point average. Got to have it. I'm chasing after it. Addicted to the feeling of success. Addicted to adrenaline. There are some, there are some students that, that you cannot slow down. I mean, it's like Red Bull for breakfast and double shot and, you know, for lunch and, and another Red Bull at night. And, and I'm going to go, go, go. Because if you were honest, if things got quiet in your life and things began to slow down, it would start to get a little bit scary. And so we're addicted to just moving all the time. Some people are addicted to pain. People who cut themselves or burn themselves. And you go, why would you do that? I don't get it. Well, any addiction is illogical. I mean, we, we, we do these things that, that end up, they don't really help us. Some people are addicted to people. If you, here, here'd be one. If you, if you find yourself on a regular basis having to always check your phone to see if that girl or that guy responded to you, and when they don't respond, you get senses of dread or horrible feelings. You, you might be addicted to people. Or you might be addicted to approval. We talked about that last week. We talked about the giant of rejection. That I have to have everybody affirm me and like me. What I want you to understand is this. We're not just talking about drugs and alcohol. We're talking about anything. An addiction is anything that you can't live without. And most of the time, those things end up hurting us. And here's what happens. We ride this roller coaster of up and down. If you've had an addiction to something, like I said, whether some of these things you may not even be leaning into, I'll use something like pornography or maybe alcohol or people. 
we, we ride this roller coaster and we realize <coughs> that it's affected our life in a negative way. And we make promises to God because we heard a message at Collide or, or something happened. We make promises to God. And we go, God, I'm never going to do that ever again. I'm done with it. I'm moving forward. And we're riding high. And then two days later, we're at the bottom of the roller coaster. And we're like, how did I get here again? I said I was done with that relationship. And then they started texting me and I'm sucked back in because I'm addicted to approval. I'm addicted to people. God said I wasn't going to that website ever again. And I'm making a decision. And I'm up here, God, this is it. We're going to do good. I'm walking with you now. And then the next day you realize, how did I end up here two or three times already? I'm not going to do it anymore. But I am. And I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm so, here, here's, here is the truth about addiction. Here, here's why we have them. Addiction is rooted in pain. And pain is almost always rooted in sin. And it may not be your sin, but somebody's sin. And this is what, so it looks like there's some kind of hurt. There's some kind of pain in our life and we can't deal with it. We want, we want, we want it to go away. And so we go to something else. We go to food to make us feel better. We go, I said earlier, we go buy something because it makes us feel better. We, we go to a website. We take a drink of alcohol. We, we do whatever. We call a guy or a girl because in the moment of the pain, in the moment of the loneliness, in the moment of the hurt or whatever it is, we're looking for some sort of relief. We need, we need something to make us feel better. And we go to it. And here, here's the thing. It works. It works. It takes our mind off the pain. The hurt goes away for a little bit. But what you've already figured out is the pain and the hurt come back. It doesn't go away for good. It doesn't take care of it forever. And so it feels good for the moment. <coughs> Excuse me. We've, we've moved forward. And then the next day, feel lonely, feel hurt, feel the pain. And so what do we do? We know I did this last time and felt better. And we go do it again. And the next thing you know, we're in this addictive cycle of always running to something else to make us feel better. And we've already got, we already understand that it doesn't ultimately make us feel better. All that's happened now is we still have the pain and the hurt. And now we have an addiction on top of it, right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about? Experienced it before? Now I want you to go to Genesis chapter three. If you have your Bible flipped there, if you've got your, the Bible app on your phone, you can log in and, and Collide will be there. If you go to the live setting, you can look at a couple of these verses. I want you to go to Genesis 3 because I, I want you to see the very first time somebody in the Bible, or really in history, got vulnerable. And that's, that's what happens. It's our, the pain. Something happens. There's a wound that's open. We feel vulnerable. As you're flipping there, I want to read you a quote, though. Genesis 3 is going to be the very beginning of your Bible. Way back several years ago, Oprah, Oprah Winfrey, you all know her, she had a show and she had sex addicts on the show. So it's people who are struggling with addiction. And she's talking through the show, and she interviewed a lady named Amy. And I, wanted to, I, I clipped it out because I wanted to read it to you. She's talking to Amy about this addiction that she has to sex. And here's what Amy said, because I think she sums up how addiction works better than I've ever heard. She said, it's not about sex with me. Her sex addiction is not about sex. It's about intimacy or being close to someone or feeling needed. Even though I'm totally out of control, I still feel that I'm in control for that moment. So we just talked about. For that moment, I felt better. At that moment, I felt needed. I was in control. She said, I'm trying to think of the men that I've slept with, and I honestly can't remember. 
70 to 75, probably somewhere around there. She said, I'm tired of being alone. I don't want to be this way. I want to feel good enough within myself to not feel like I need to do this. I want to change. I want things to be better. That's everybody that's got an addiction. I don't want it anymore. I want to be free of it. But there's something inside me that, that, that's, that's a wound. It's a hurt. It's a pain. And I keep driving back to this addiction for the temporary relief that it gives me. Well, this vulnerability. I'm hurt. Got this wound. It's open. So we go back to Genesis chapter 3. And we've been, we go to Genesis a lot. There's so much theology in the story of Adam and Eve and creation. In Genesis chapter 3, I want you to, to see what happens. So we've got Adam and Eve. They're in the Garden of Eden. And if you're new to the story of Adam and Eve, God created Adam, created Eve, first two people on the planet. <coughs> they live in the Garden of Eden with God. They, they spend time walking and talking with God. God says to them, hey, this is, this is a paradise, but because I want to have a love relationship with you and everything you've got, I mean, you've got everything you ever need or dream of, hey, there's, there's a tree in the, in the middle of the Garden of Eden. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Hey, listen, if you love me, don't eat from it. You can do anything else. You have complete freedom. Enjoy the garden. Enjoy the animals. Eat of all the other fruit. Just, hey, here, here's how you show me that you love me. It's real easy. Just don't eat from that tree. If you don't eat from, every time you don't eat from that tree, you're showing me that you love me, you respect me, you honor me, you're going to be obedient. Satan shows up, tricks Adam and Eve. They eat from the fruit. Sin comes into the world. And here's what happens in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So stop there for a second. Realize in this story, nothing changed. Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden the entire time, totally naked. They didn't eat the fruit, and all of a sudden their clothes disappear. They were already, but, but they didn't know. It didn't matter they were under the protection of God. There was no sense of vulnerability. And as soon as sin entered the picture, <coughs> as soon as the wound was there, all of a sudden they look down and they go, hey, we're, we're vulnerable. I'm naked, you're naked. And even though it's just the two of them in the garden and they're married, they go immediately to try to cover up, to hide the vulnerability, to fix the wound. And all they've got is some strategically located fig leaves and a loincloth. Then God shows up. God says, hey, where are you guys at? He, know, he knows where they're at. He's asking them, hey, where are you? What's happened? And they tell God the story. God tells them the consequences, curses the, the enemy, the snake. And then sometimes we read all of that theology and we miss a really important part in verse 21. Well, let's start in verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living, of all the living. Verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Do you see what happened? They get vulnerable. Sin enters the picture. There's now pain in the world. And all of a sudden they realize, hey, something has gone wrong. And they do what we do. They try to fix the problem as best they can grab some fig leaves, 
get this loincloth, kill a little small animal, get a loincloth. We're trying to, <coughs> we're trying to cover up our, our pain. We're trying to cover up our vulnerability. And it doesn't work. But at the end of the story, as God always does, he shows up for his children, the people he loves. And even though they've sinned, even though they've got pain, even though they've got vulnerability and they've run to try to do something to cover it up, God shows up and God is the one who clothes them. God gives them something better. And so the question that we've got to wrestle with is, is why, why do we keep trying to run to the things that don't work? Alcohol, pornography, a relationship, shopping, lying. Some people are addicted to lying. All of those things that we do to try to get temporary relief from the pain. It's our fig leaves and our loincloths. And God's going, you know what? I've got something better for you. I'll take care of you. I'll clothe you. I'll protect you. I want you to flip over. We're going to look at a couple of passages of Scripture. Go to Psalm chapter 147. The book of Psalms is in kind of, if you open up to the middle of your Bible, it'll be there. I want to read you a passage, and then we're talking about what do we do. I want to read you this passage in Psalm 147, verse 1 through 5. The psalmist says, praise the Lord, for it's good to sing praise to our God, for it's pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcast of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars, and he gives to all of them their names. Great is the Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. We, we learn some things about God here. Here's some things we learn. We learn that he's worthy to be praised. That's what the psalmist starts with. <coughs> could, Nate, could you grab me some water, please? I'm sorry. I'm going to die if I don't get some. Um, I don't want to keep coughing on everybody. We, we find out the first thing, that, that God is worthy to be praised. We find out that, that he is um, so big that he has numbered all of the stars. Like, not just the stars. If you walk out onto, like, you have like family who lives out in the country. You don't get to see the stars very often in the city. You go out to the country and you look up and you see all the stars. You go, man, that is incredible. And there's so many of them. Not just those, all of the stars. The, all the stars in the universe, God is numbered. He knows how many, probably a number that we can't even, we, we don't even know exist. He's named them all. The psalmist tells us this in verse five, or in verse, yeah, in verse five, that God's understanding is beyond measure. Like God understands things that we couldn't even begin to understand. He's that big. He's that powerful. Thank you, friend. I appreciate it. He, he's that incredible. And that same God who numbered all the stars and knows their name, look back at verse 2. He builds up Jerusalem and gathers the outcasts of Israel. That same God goes to his people and he builds them up and he reaches out to the outcast, the broken. And then it says this in verse three, he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. That big God who's all powerful knows your vulnerability. He knows where you're, you're wounded. He knows where you're broken. He knows that you're chasing after fig leaves and loincloths to heal it, to make yourself feel better. And he's going, you know what? I want to gather you to me and I want to heal your heart and, ba and bandage up your wounds. I want to take care of you. So it begs us this question, and this is just a logical question. Why do we keep running the things that don't work? When the God who created it all says, I'll take care of it. I'll heal the wound that's causing you the pain that's making you run to an addiction. And you can be really free. And I said earlier, I don't, I don't want to demean the process of 
people who are in, in major addiction type things that need to walk through a 12-step process, things like that. Sometimes God uses the processes and things like that. But I want to get us at least a foundation to start. So I'm going to give you two things. If you're dealing with something, whether it be an addiction to your phone or an addiction to sex, an addiction to shopping, or you're already can't control the amount of alcohol you consume. Wherever the level of that addiction is, I'm going to give you some things just to start. And here's the first thing. We've got to bring others into the journey. We've got to bring other people in the journey. We've got to have some people that will walk alongside of us that we can share our story with, and they share their story. And I feel like a broken record because I feel like all the, almost all the time on Wednesday nights I talk about you've got to have people. You've got to have people that have the, your best interest in heart that want to push you towards the Lord. You've got to have people. If you have an addiction, that you have to be able to say, hey, I've got this, I'm wrestling with my life, and I'm, I'm journeying with the Lord, but I believe the Lord's going to use you to help me walk through this journey and overcome it. You've got to have those people in your life. You cannot do it on your own. Hear me when I say this. If you could do it on your own, if you could really do it on your own, you'd have already done it. Right? But you haven't told anybody else. You haven't brought anybody else into the journey because it's embarrassing. Because you don't want people to know that you have wounds. You don't want people to know that you have an addiction. You don't want people to know that you're broken. Well, here's, here's the good news. We're all broken and we've all got wounds. So let's walk the walk and do the journey together. But why do we keep going to the addiction when we've got healing? And I've said, you've seen it up here on the screen multiple times. Kind of a theme and I've run right through it. But we're able we, to overcome we're able to find freedom, not because of anything we did. We would already done it, but because God's able. You've got to have him, and sometimes he's going to use other people. I'm, go to John. We're going to look at two more passages. Go to the book of John. Keep going towards the back. <coughs> the Gospel of John, chapter 11. Talk about vulnerability and wounds. There's a guy in John who is a good friend of Jesus. His name's Lazarus, and y'all know what happened to Lazarus, right? He died. Jesus shows up. First, Lazarus is sick, and his Lazarus' friends and sisters say, hey, Jesus, come do something. He's sick. Jesus doesn't get there in time. Lazarus dies. And they come back, and they're, they're crying. They're upset. And Jesus is upset. And then Jesus does something pretty incredible. He does it a couple times throughout the Scripture, not a whole lot. He tells some people to roll away the, the stone on, of the tomb where Lazarus is, open up the grave. And he says, Lazarus, get up and come out. Lazarus has been dead for several days. Lazarus comes out, but when Lazarus walks out, he's wrapped up like a mummy. He's been in grave clothes. The body's been wrapped up. There's been spices put on it and, and all kinds of things. And then again, a verse we read over quite a bit in verse chapter 11, verse 43. It says, when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. Jesus did, Lazarus come out, verse 44. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. In all of Lazarus' vulnerability, I mean, Jesus brought him back from the dead, which is fantastic, but you can't live in grave clothes. You barely walk out of the tomb. Can't see, can't breathe well. You got face all wrapped up. He's vulnerable. And what does Jesus say? Lazarus, get yourself out of that. Lazarus, tell her off the grave. No. The friends and family who are all gathered around him, Jesus says, you guys go unwrap him, unbind him set him free because God knows and we see it throughout the scripture so many one another passages and so many passages about the church that we've got to have each other and so if you're going to find freedom from addiction you will not 
find it alone. You will not defeat that, get out of the shadow. We talked about earlier, the giant's already been defeated. Talked about that in week one. But you won't get out from under the shadow without some other people in your life. Here's the second thing. Maybe not right away, but you've got to get to the point where you can tell your story. You'll be able to tell your story about what God has done and what he's doing. There's a, a Princeton professor, pretty cool story. He's a very successful professor, kind of known on campus. And of course, Princeton's Ivy League school, known on campus as one of the kind of elite professors. He posted a uh, resume of all of his failures. So it was like all of the papers they turned in for academic review that, that, that got rejected, the grants that he asked for for research that, that didn't happen. He posted all these things and it caused a buzz. People in the school started talking about it. And so then, of course, the school paper comes, they interview him. And he said, you know, people think that my life is always easy. They see the success. They see Princeton professor. They see the, the, the papers I've written. They've seen things. But I want people to know that I've failed a lot of times. And I wanted my failures to be an encouragement to other people. Do you know how powerful it is in somebody's life? If God has begun the freeing work of an addiction in your life, when you're able to look at somebody else and say, hey, I've been there and God's freed me and God will free you. It's, it's embarrassing. Scary, but a part of our freedom is being able to tell the story. There's no reason to keep running to the addiction when we've been given freedom. I'll tell you one last story, and then we've got to do some baptisms and you know, do some announcements. There's a, a story of a several, long time ago, St. Louis, two lawyers were talking. And this is a true story. Uh, that sounded like a setting of a joke. Two lawyers were talking. Two guys were talking. One was a believer and one wasn't. And the guy who was a believer was friends with his friend who was not a believer. And he asked him, he said, hey, why, let me just ask you a question. He said, why haven't, you, why haven't you decided to follow Jesus? Why haven't you given your life to Christ? And the lawyer friend who was not a Christian, he said, well, here's, uh, here's what I know. I don't know a whole lot about the Bible, but I know enough about the Bible to know what the Bible says about drunkenness. And I don't fit, I don't fit the Bible. And his Christian friend said, that, that's really an ex excuse. You didn't really answer my question. I didn't ask you about being drunk. He said, why, why, haven't, why, why don't you want to follow Christ? And the guy said, well, you know what? I, I'll tell you this. I, I guess, really, because nobody's ever told me how. And the friend began to share Jesus with him, what it meant to be free from addiction, what it meant to be walking in a disciple relationship with Christ. And he led his friend to Christ, and that lawyer who was not a believer became a believer and started following Christ. Now, his name won't mean a whole lot to you. That lawyer's name was, uh, his last name was Schofield. And if you get on like Amazon or something like that and you search Bibles, one type of Bible is you'll see that a lot of people buy is the Schofield Study Bible. The guy went and started following Christ and ended up making his own study Bible notes and things like that. It was now published today nearly 100 years later. Formerly an addict, found freedom had somebody in his life and is telling his story. So here, here's the prayer for you guys. Is that you would come to a point where you realize that you're only able in anything, you're only able to overcome addiction because God is able. And he doesn't want you running to fig leaves and loincloths. He wants you to find real healing, real protection. He wants to heal your broken heart and bind up your wounds. But you get to make the choice to keep running back to the things that temporarily satisfy the pain and the hurt that also cause addiction or to find something better.
There's adults, small group leaders, pastors, me, people who would come